Welcome, everyone, to the Never Say Die podcast. I'm your host, TJ, and with me again, as always, is our NHL analyst and expert, the grumpy old man. They say there's no shame in his game because he's always the same. That's me. And also, we have a special guest, Rich Kahn, the PA announcer for the New York Islanders. Back, back, uh, you could say, before things turned a little bit uh, gray for the Islanders organization there for a little right. bit. Yeah, that's true. Very true. Nice to be with you guys. Thank you so much, TJ. I, I'm going to let you ask Rich the questions because if I, me and him are just going to get rolling talking about old stories. So if there's questions, I want you to ask him because you know how how fantastic I am at that. <laughs> well, the first question I had yeah. is, Rich, how does someone get involved with being a PA announcer? Now, you've been an announcer there, and I think I'm correct here, for the Islanders, the Jets, and now for uh, University of Penn there on the basketball right. organization right. there. Right. How do you get involved with that? You know, I, I don't know that there's any real path toward it. I started doing it in college um, at CW Post on Long Island, and I did football and basketball, and I just it's just something I just seemed to gravitate to, and I, I liked it, and I think, I guess I was pretty good at it. And I just started doing, you know, I started doing stuff all around. I started doing Fordham football and basketball, and then Seton Hall basketball, and you develop a, a track record, and then you try to get to the next level. And I was fortunate enough that um, one of the guys I went to college with was Bruce Bennett, the very famous uh, hockey photographer, probably the best in the business. And Bruce knew of my interest and he introduced me to some people at the Islanders and ended up getting a job working game nights and then talked my way into being a backup announcer and then eventually the announcer. So um, I, I think it's just, you have to have an interest. You obviously have to, you know, you have to be reasonably good at it. And you got to work your way up. You got to you got to really do a lot of it to learn how to do it. I don't think there's any. So a lot of people have asked me that, and and I think it's just it's not something you're going to learn in a textbook. It's just something you have to learn by doing. And if you really have a passion for it, as I do, um, hopefully you get really good at it, and you can get a shot at the big time. And I was fortunate enough to get that. Fantastic. Hey, Rich, how long were you the Islanders? P when did you start with the Islanders? And I started with the Islanders in 82, and I was there till 95. Uh, I would have stayed, obviously, much, much longer, but I got a great job opportunity in Philadelphia. So I moved my uh, wife and my two young kids to Philadelphia in 95, and the one thing I had to leave behind was my love of the Islanders. So, And I had been a season ticket holder since day one, literally. I think I was account number seven. Uh, very good. Very good. Uh, obviously, this was a guy who was a big fan. I had worked, I had rooted for the Rangers before that, um, and so leaving them was 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 tough. You know, it was really tough. And my kids used to come to the games, and uh, they were still young, but they they loved it. And they obviously, my oldest son became a real passionate Islander fan, and still is, which is nice. Good for him. So there's no truth to the rumor that Mike Milbury forced you out when he came. <laughs> no. Okay, no. I just wanted to make sure. That's all. And actually, uh, I mean, at the time, he was just the head coach. Uh, I believe. Yeah, one of the PR directors was a woman named Ginger Killian. Uh, you probably don't know that name. She's uh, married with. She's married to Mike Milbury now. Married to Mike Milbury. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. See, so TJ, TJ has no idea. TJ right. has no idea. Right. I'm going to be out in the deep end on this conversation for the majority of the podcast That's today, and I've kind of accepted it. I'm sorry I cut you off, Rich. Tell us a ginger story because it sounds like it's going I don't to be know that there are any stories. I, I think that um, I recall her as the PR director, and I think at one point she was married to a um, one of the columnists for the New York Post whose name escapes me. Uh, and then she divorced. they got divorced, and then lo and behold, before I knew it, 
you know, I heard later on that she was involved with Mike Milbury and apparently she's married to him for quite a while and they have, they have, they have kids and, uh, I haven't talked to her in a number of years, but you know, she was, she was kind of a, somewhat of a trailblazer because there weren't many women in the business as you can imagine. Yeah. I, um, I find it really interesting that the Islanders have really stepped up in that regard. You look at, uh, Shannon Hogan I mean, I, I think the, the challenge always has been, um, and people ask me these questions all the time, why are there not more women in this business? And I think the reason is that many of them didn't grow up with it. And so it doesn't come as naturally maybe to them as it did to guys. But now you have women who are growing up with it and are taking an active interest in it and are playing the game like AJ did. And uh, so they obviously have the strong knowledge base and, and they can be very effective uh, broadcasters. Yeah. TJ and I have spoken about uh, AJ's rise, honestly. Uh, I know she kind of took over from Mark Parrish a couple of years ago, and I thought Mark Parrish was absolutely fantastic in that role. And I thought he was better than her. But she has really uh, stepped up her game, and I think her being working on NBC Sports, I don't think she's going to be with the Islanders long long term. I just I don't know. I, I, you know, I think I think you have you, you, you run, there's there's a fine line there. I think because when you get onto a network, you're dealing more with passionate fans rather than casual fans, and I think passionate fans are a little more difficult to please. And I, I don't know. I mean, I I think she's as I said, she's obviously very professional. She's very knowledgeable. She's very personable. But there's going to be a group of fans, you know, mostly guys, who will probably never feel comfortable with that. Uh, and that's unfortunate, but I think that's the reality. Yeah, I, I agree. I 100% agree. Uh, TJ, more, more questions from you because, I mean, I could talk to Rich all day, but I know that there are some questions that you want to ask. So I'm going to let you ask. I'm going to try not to do what I do, which is just dominate the conversation. <laughs> no, 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 that's fine. Again, I... I, I'm fine. I, Rich sharing as many stories as possible is what I enjoy during this time period. I guess I do have one question specifically about Milbury. Did you really get to know him very well? And if so, did you have any interesting stories about him? I didn't. Um, I, I didn't really know him all that well. You know him to say hello to him. I mean, I knew people like Al Arbor. I, you know, Al Arbor was just a wonderful guy and he would just talk to anybody, just sweet and kind and you know, you, you listen to the players talk about playing for him, and he, he would he would always ask them about their families and what's you know what's going on in their lives. You know, hockey was just a part of life for him, and and that's rare in the sports world. Usually, people are obsessed with sports and they're one dimensional and maybe don't see that there's another side of life. There's family life. There's and Al Arbor did that. He was unusual. Milbury was kind of. Um, I w he was just, you know, he probably the way he looks on air. I mean, he was just kind of um, rough around the edges, you know, not a guy who really would engage you in conversation. Uh, so, no, the answer is, unfortunately, I, I didn't really get to know him very well. Yeah, anybody who's going to go into, you know, go up into the stands and beat people with their shoes. Right. I mean, I, I oh. think, you know, un unfortunately, you know, uh, you know, some of the things he said on NBC obviously have cost him, and I think – you know, when somebody has a personality, it's hard to hide that personality sometimes. And I think that's probably what happened here. I mean, that's why he was hired. Let's be honest. That's why sure. he was hired. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he, he, he kicked some butt. And, uh, um, but that's, you know, today's kids don't respond well to that. You know, you, it's, it's got to be a carrot and a stick. You know, yeah. 
they're they're much more sensitive. Um, you know, having I have kids in that age range who you know would be professional hockey players were they not something else, and and they're just not. They need to be coddled a bit. They need to be handled differently than the kids did, you know, years ago. Uh, interesting, you know, about Al Arbor. I think whenever you hear any of the old players talk about him, it's with a sense of reverence. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Without a doubt. For many of the reasons why I'm telling you, not only was he obviously a great coach, he was just a great person. You know, he truly cared about everyone that worked for him. And that came through. And I think that's what the players will tell you, that he was just this wonderful, compassionate, caring guy who happened to be a great hockey coach. And, and I, I think that's what sets him apart, I think, from many other guys. Absolutely. And I think he could coach in today's NHL. Oh, absolutely. No question about certain, it. Because, you know, like I said, you just and you just hit the nail right on the head. And like I said, I don't know Al Arbor. I never did. Um, but you listen to the players and they almost look at him as a second father. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and he was. He was. Because a lot of the, you know, you know, I, I mean, you and I, we didn't grow up in Canada. And of course, the, the Canadian system is so different. You know, kid goes away to play junior hockey when he could be 14 years old. He's leaving his family, um, and he comes to the NHL. He's you know, probably not a very sophisticated kid. And Al Arbor takes him under his wing and helps the kid grow up and mature and teaches him about life. And, and obviously, they revere the guy for all the right reasons. Yeah. He, like I said, he was – those were my glory days as an Islander fan. I always – you know, I feel bad for TJ and old mo, – probably most of the listeners of this podcast, you know, they're all still – the backs of their heads aren't hard yet. And uh, so they kind of don't – they kind of don't know what it's like to be rooting for a winner. Yeah, um, that's true. Though, well, my son, my son always bemoans that fact because the last time the Islanders were in the, uh, the conference finals was, what, 93. So he was seven years old. So oh, he's yeah. never he's never seen them successful. Yeah, and it's it's yeah. a shame. I mean, you know, yeah. we have such a loyal fan base that uh, you know I always I tell people this is this is honestly with this group this is our best chance to win a cup. I yeah. feel it's right. I, I, agree. I, I think I think Tampa Bay represents a huge hurdle. Uh, I, I think they're every bit as good as the Islanders. They're every bit as deep. Uh, I think their goaltending might be even a little better. Uh, so it's going to be tough. I mean, I, I do think they can win, but I think it'll be a tougher test than, than the Flyers. For certain. And I, I mentioned to TJ previously that I feel that Tampa Bay kind of reminds me of the Islanders in 78 and 79. Yeah, yeah. they've been they, on the door now for four or five years, and I think and they're ready to break through. They've, they've added some pieces, which I think give them a little bit more depth, a little more toughness. Um, they certainly have, they have some scoring, great defense. Uh, they're going to be tough. I mean, I, I think they're probably, you know, watching the, I was watching a little bit of the Dallas bank, the Dallas uh, game the other, last night. And, you know, I, I thought Vegas was unbeatable. And after watching them last night, I don't longer feel that way. Yeah. So uh, I like having you on the podcast, Rich, because you parrot everything that I've been trying to beat into <laughs> TJ's head for a long time. Well, why? What is he thinking? Well, he's, no, it's just it's done. odd, Rich, that he yeah, how it is. He's got the same talking points as you, where you talk about being able to reference the older Islanders and that that they add a little bit of sandpaper to their game and they have more grit with the additions they made at the NHL trade deadline. Right. That I know Grumpy thinks might put them over the edge, and it's just interesting. I'm I think this is a big series, obviously, for multiple different reasons. 
All right, it's over the top, not over the edge. And I'm going to correct you once again, TJ. It's, it's not a podcast unless I mess up at least one. <laughs> at least one, yeah. Right. Now, Rich, I have a quick question. Sure. When you're a, uh, a PA announcer for the arena, right? Uh, do you feel that you really have to – and as an Islander fan, do you felt like in big moments you really had to restrain yourself – uh, as opposed to going over the top as yeah, some announcer. Very interesting question. Um, when I first started, uh, I patterned myself after people that I had heard, and we were very businesslike. Uh, we were not overly enthusiastic. We felt that, you know, but as, as we evolved, and I can particularly remember in that 92, 93 season, I was very energetic for the Islanders. Uh, a lot of emphasis on Turgeon and Benoit Hogue and Stevie Thomas, and and that's what they wanted. And I, you know, initially I was a little uncomfortable with that, but I became I got used to it, and it became fun, and people really enjoyed it. Um, I would still, um, you know, properly report what was going on for both teams, and I would not whisper on on an opponent's goal as they do in the NBA, and I can't stand that. <laughs> You know, they yell for the home team and then they whisper for the, for the visiting team. It's just, that to me is just, you know, it's not the way it's supposed to be. Right. So I tried to be respectful of both teams, but certainly I was much more energetic for the Islanders. And is there any one game or call that stands out to you? Mm. And I know that I'm going over a, a long time yeah. ago, over yeah. a long period of time. I'm thinking of just a couple, but I just want to hear. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I, I'm, you can't forget the Turgeon Dale Hunter episode. And I think that because it was so appalling to see, and it was right near me, uh, you know, we sat at ice level. And so I had a good look at the whole thing and I just couldn't believe what I was seeing uh, that somebody would do that uh, and just obviously try to hurt the guy. That's just something you usually didn't see. And, you know, you just, there was, a, there was a measure of respect. You know, you might try to, you know, knock him off the puck, give him a good hip check or whatever, but you wouldn't really hit a guy when he's not looking. And particularly when the play was dead, you know, that was just, that was appalling to me. And I, yeah. you know, the, for me, you know, doing, you know, Islander Ranger games for the first time was huge because having grown up a Ranger fan. And so there's so many, I, I can't really point to, I, you know, there, there was so many highlights. Well, Rich, I'm going to build off a question of that. How did you become an Islander fan growing up a lifelong Rangers fan uh, throughout? Because I know Grumpy himself as well was a Ranger fan, I believe, there for a little bit as well. Well, it's very interesting. I, I mean, I used to, I started going to Ranger games at the Old Garden on 8th Avenue when I was probably in my teens. I'd take a train in and take a subway over to the Old Garden, which I think was at 8th Avenue and 49th or 50th or something. And I would sit upstairs for $1.50 and I became a hockey fan. Uh, but when the rain, when the Islanders were announced, I have an older brother, and we said, you know what? Here's our chance to get in on the ground floor and really root for a team that's going to be ours. So we went to the – there was a local drugstore that had been a ticket agent for the Long Island Nets, and they were taking a list of potential Islanders season ticket holders. <laughs> and we signed up the first day. And we just – at that point, we swore off the Rangers and said, you know what? we got to become Islander fans, and we did. Yeah, I always tell TJ, every Islander fan started off as a Ranger fan. Sure, because there was nothing else. Right, there was nothing else. And, you know, you couldn't get tickets to Ranger games. Right, right. And for Long Island to have its first team, and I was Long Island born and bred. And, you know, that was just our team right from the get-go. Right. With the Islanders. Right. So, yeah. 
And so it was, you know, I guess, you know, the fact that you could get on the ground floor, I had second row season tickets in the corner. Um, it was fabulous. And the tickets were $8 a game. Put that in your pipe, $8 a game. Think about that. Yeah, second row. And old number 18, I remember him being the yeah. captain of those yeah. teams. And yeah. I'll never forget the game where they beat Boston 11 to 9. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'll, I'll never forget that in their first year. So. Yeah, I mean, the first year was obviously very challenging because they were not very good. And, um, you know, there were no names on their jerseys. And most of these guys were no-name people anyway. You know, the best player was probably Jermaine Gagnon and then you had Eddie Westfall. And you had, you had a couple of decent goalies. Uh, yeah. but they really had no scoring punch, and they, they really had no chance of winning many games. And, but Bill Torrey did a pretty good job bringing some people in on that expansion draft, I believe. That, yes, yeah, uh, like Terry Crisp. Yeah, Terry Crisp. There were some, there were some good players. Yeah, absolutely. Billy Smith. Were not, not enough. I mean, you drafted yeah. Billy Harris. You know, a good player, but not a, not a uh, franchise player. And you think about how it's changed now, and TJ, I'll, I'll give you a little – update on how it's changed now as opposed to the past you could pretty much protect everybody yeah. uh, back yeah. in the old days there was no since free there was really no free agency so that's that's why the islanders were able to succeed because they were able to keep the, the core together for all those years nowadays that'd be re- it's almost impossible yeah they, it would be if, if you were to win two consecutive cups almost everybody on your roster would be in demand by somebody and you wouldn't be able to afford them right. be able to stay under a cap and the salary cap also. Sure. That's why I said uh, you wouldn't be able to stay under the cap. It wouldn't be possible. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I think, the problem that they're going to wind up having, that Tampa's going to wind up having. Yes. Uh, even yeah. if they do win this year. Uh, but I, like I said, I'm, I'm just in my glory days. And, you know, I know how many things have changed over the years. You look at, uh, used to be the, plur- pro- uh, forget, I'm not even going to say proliferation because I can't say it. <laughs> uh, but, uh, fighting used to be more prevalent back in the yeah. day, and it's not yeah. anymore. You needed to be more tough guys. And I look at some of the players today, and I, I look at some of them like, mm, you know what? He couldn't have played 30 years ago. And, Rich, I do also have an additional question. Uh, before we kind of start talking about this matchup against the Tampa Bay Lightning and and what you think is going to transpire throughout the, the seven-game series, I kind of want to take a deeper dive into what your day-to-day looked like Uh when you were the PA announcer there for the New York Islanders? I mean, everybody has certain routines and rituals. Was there anything specific that you would do on game days that, you know, you'd like to try to keep consistent? Well, I, I think um, typically you do – excuse me, obviously you do most of your preparation beforehand. But on game nights, you would typically um, be up in the press room and I would track down the, the PR guy from – the opponent and just go over some things. Um, we typically, I'd catch up with Ginger, whoever the PR person was at the time, and go over the marketing script for the night. Uh, and obviously, as time went on, the marketing scripts would get longer and longer. Um, you know, and there was, you know, at the beginning, there was very little coordination between announcing and marketing. But by the end, there was a lot more. And the marketing guy would sit next to me and we would, you know, and I've watched, I mean, I, I tell the story when I started with the Jets, I think my marketing script was probably four or five pages. By the time I left, it was over 30 pages. Oh, gosh. Because you know, there was something almost every, it was just, there was always something. Got to sell, got to sell, got to sell. I mean, they felt, you know, there was always this pressure to put as much into the game as they could. 
And and hockey doesn't have as many opportunities, obviously, because you like to keep things quiet when when play is going on. But every break in the action, you know, there was usually something. And if you have, you know, and back then they didn't have a great video board, so you really couldn't do as much as you could do today, and particularly what you'll do at the new arena, I can imagine. So it'll be um, very different. You know, we were talking a little bit off air about looking when the Islanders won their first cup and you looked around the stands and you really didn't see many Islander fans wearing Islander T-shirts or jerseys. And we, right. we discussed right. how, uh, you know, there was nothing, you know, I remember I couldn't buy anything. You said, oh, Islander Stanley Cup champions no. or, you know, jersey sales. And nope. uh, what's your what's well, your take on that, Rich? It's funny. And, I, and I, you know, I, I think it's, um, you know, 1980 licensing uh, licensed products just wasn't a big thing. And in the last, obviously the last 40 years, there's been an explosion of licensing. And uh, now, I mean, you, you know, it's, there's so much stuff and so much stuff available when a team wins a championship. And it's crazy. But I, I, the only thing I remember, like when the Islanders parade, I saw a few people holding Islander pennants that said Stanley Cup champions. And that was pretty much it. There was really nothing. Yeah. Um, so, you know, times have changed. Is it better? I don't know. But certainly people are spending a lot more money, that's for sure. Yeah, and that I think a lot of that is the Gary Bettman influence coming over from the NBA, right. where they're big, big on marketing yep. uh, for certain. Well, we've always talked about, uh, Rich, how to grow the sport of hockey, because right. a lot of times, even if you're a first-time viewer and you go to a live NHL game, especially a playoff-caliber game, People walk away and they fall in love with the sport. They're infatuated with it. Yeah. And Grumpy and I have always talked about how are we able to convey that to the viewers at home? Yeah, it's an interesting question. It's one that I, I've wrestled with a long time. I, we were out to dinner with some friends the other night. He's a big sports fan, but he's not a hockey fan. He's a big basketball fan, baseball fan. And I asked him, I said, well, why? He said, I don't know. I just never got into it. I said, well, you need, I need to take you to a live event. And if you sit there and you appreciate what's going on and you and you you can't imagine that these guys are actually on skates doing what they're doing. I think one of the challenges is it doesn't translate to television as well as football and basketball do. Uh, it's tough to follow the puck. You know, we obviously, we've watched thousands of games, so we know where the puck's going to go. And even though we can't see it along the near boards, we, we know what we're missing. But... For a for a for a um, a fan who's not as acquainted with the sport as we are, it's it's not as easy a game to follow on television. And yeah. I don't think television does it justice. Yeah, uh, and it's certainly you can't appreciate the speed of the game on TV either. Right. And I, I can recall, I think this this may have been at the old Garden. They used to have a a sign above one of the entrances that said "fastest game on two feet" or "fastest game on ice" or something, and I think that's just that really says it. You, you need to see it in person to appreciate the speed, and to appreciate and to appreciate the skill set that these guys have. Uh, I don't know that that translates as well on television. No, and you know, you you hit the nail on the head. I hate to agree with I hate to agree with our guests. <laughs> you know that I because you know that's not who I am. I think you hate to agree with anybody, Grumpy. But, well, that's true. Except for myself. I love agreeing with myself. I love hearing myself talk. You know that. Um, but you almost, it's almost like you have to be born watching the game. Yeah. 
because yeah. if you're if you start watching it from a young age and you get ingratiated, you hit the nail on the head, Rich. Like I said, knowing where the puck's going to go, you just right. kind of know where it's going right. to go and what's going to happen. Right. And if you're older, you know it's just difficult to pick up. And yeah. like, yeah. and, and I, I can tell you, you know, having watched the game from all angles, having watched it from second row corner, uh, from up top, from television, from you know, from camera locations, from where I used to sit as the announcer. And when you're sitting down at ice level and you see the speed, uh, it, you just you just marvel at it. But how many people are going to get to sit where I sat, you know, and appreciate what goes on out there? And, and as I say, you sometimes forget that these guys are on skates. It's remarkable. It really yeah. is remarkable. I'm going to tell you what. I think that this uh, being life in the bubble has helped the NHL. I think out of all the sports that had to go out, I think having games on all day long and getting different camera angles now without fans being in the stands, yeah. you're able to see a lot more. And maybe that'll help grow the sport too. I, I think, you know, years ago, I, I used to I used to travel a lot for business. And you'd go into a town that didn't have a hockey game, a hockey team. And you'd watch the, uh, the nightly news. And if they showed a clip, it would typically be of a fight. And I thought that was a big problem because that's not what the game is, but that's, that was the perception of the game. And so now of course the game has expanded to many cities. And so it's, it's really a national sport, but it's still, it's still got a ways to go. I, I just think people, you know, it's, it's kind of like soccer. I mean, I, I think, Soccer works well on television, works better on television than hockey does because you can see the ball better. But if you go to a, game, a soccer game in person and see the skill that these guys have, it's remarkable. But again, because there's a lack of scoring, it hasn't really taken hold in, 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 in this country. And uh, I don't know if it ever will. I don't know if it'll ever, I don't think it'll ever reach the level that it, that it has in Europe or South America. I just don't think it will. No, I love the game and I've done some soccer games and I've done some international games, but it, it's again, the skill set of these guys is remarkable, but I, it's just not something that most Americans have grown up with and they just don't appreciate it. Right. And the lack of scoring, I think, does have something to do yeah. with it. We like we like action in this country, right? We do. We do. Yeah. That's why we love football, because yeah. it's action. It works beautifully on television. A lot of scoring. A lot of violence. You know, we love those things. That's right. Hey. That's the reality. We love it. It's like the Wild West out there, right? Yeah. Yeah. Now, Rich, you work now for Penn. And right. I know you cover basketball as well right. as other sports. Right. I guess, where do you see that? Are you happy and content with that role? Are, are you seeing yourself? That's kind of be the last. The last you know, uh, it's funny. I, um, I love doing college football, college basketball, and I do a variety of other sports too. And um, the kids are terrific. I mean, the kids are terrific because they're approachable. They're, they're, they don't have big egos. Um, that's, the, that's the other – I think that's why I equate it to hockey and why I miss hockey because most hockey players were terrific guys. They're very approachable. You know, most of them were small-town kids. They didn't come in with big egos. 
Who does, that sound, who does that sound like, TJ? Who said that before on this podcast? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I 100% agree with this, but you have mentioned that multiple times, Grumpy. Well, I did I did, <laughs> I did, flip the script to Rich before the show. Right. Uh, yeah. Let's be honest. But I mean, I, I, obviously, I've been around a lot of athletes, both, both pro and college. Um, and I always, and even my wife, who, you know, didn't go to a lot, but she went to a lot of hockey things with me, you know, Christmas parties and things. And, she always loved the guys. They're just so approachable. They're just they're just nice guys, you know, just decent, down-to-earth guys for the most part. There was some, you know, not all of them, but most of them. But compare that to the NFL, um, you know, completely different. Most guys completely unapproachable, uh, not, not anybody you want to have a beer with. Um, you know, it's just different. And I think that's, that's the appeal of hockey. But... Again, how many people get the chance to really experience that behind the scenes, as I have been fortunate enough to do? And I think that's why I have a greater appreciation for it. Yeah, we, we you know, it's funny when I used to take my children, because the Islanders were not, when they were younger, were not a popular team. Right. So, uh, and I live in the Charlotte, North Carolina area. So I would, we'd drive up to Raleigh or Greensboro when they first started there. And I remember meeting Milbury in the stands of an exhibition game. And, you know, when Zidane Chara was a rookie and even he was approachable, if you can believe that. Yeah. Um, but we used right. to stay at the same hotel as the players did. And they were all so nice to my kid. Yeah. I mean, just overwhelmingly nice. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. and it makes you root for people like that. So. Sure it does. And I, I think that was the point. My, my wife was not a big hockey fan. And she hated when guys would crash into the glass right in front of our seats, and she just would cringe. But when she got to meet these guys, she appreciated, you know, they were really nice guys and very approachable and very down to earth. And I think that's what made it uh, so nice. And Rich, when we were grumpy and I were both located in Charlotte, we had met uh, Mikey Ryan, who yes. told us yes. he used to be a neighbor of yours, and yes. he originally started the Islanders Meetup Group. Yes. And your son as well, uh, Rich, has started up the Islanders Meetup Group there in Philadelphia, correct? That's correct. Uh, Mikey Ryan grew up right across the street from us in Deer Park on Long Island. And when he was little, we took him to some games, and he became a fan. And uh, he's obviously a lifelong Islander fan. And when he moved to Charlotte, he set up this this meetup group, which is you know a nice group of guys, big big group of people and um he's he's become a lifelong islander fan and credits me and my son for introducing him to the game and becoming a fan which is really sweet now i find it interesting you said your son is starting up an islander meetup group in philadelphia does he ever get attacked on the street <laughs> <laughs> not yet not yet okay. um uh you know i've been to some of his meetups they usually meet at a, a bar or restaurant before before this whole pandemic problem but um, nice group of nice group of people, all walks of life, most of whom have relocated to the Philadelphia area, and um, they're Islander fans, and it's it's a nice it's a nice bonding experience. Yeah, I just like I said, I am old school, and my brother is a Flyers fan, and we haven't talked since the Islanders knocked them out of the playoffs. Yeah, well, so, you know, yeah, I, I obviously most of uh, it's it's funny that most of my mother's relatives were from Philadelphia as my wife's relatives are as well. So that's one of the reasons I decided to take the job in Philly because I felt we'd have a support system and it's turned out to be that way. But of course I never became a Philly sports fan except for my college teams. And, um, but 
you know, most of my relatives have been, you know, pretty respectful about it. I mean, there's some pretty hardcore Flyer fans, but as I said, they've acknowledged the Islanders were probably the better team, and uh, it has. It's been. We certainly certainly haven't stopped talking, which is nice. Yeah, uh, actually, I think it's good for me that we have stopped talking. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know Grumpy and I have talked about on, on multiple different occasions how rivalries in sports have become essentially diluted, and you don't have that same amount of vigor and passion that that was between fan bases that you used to have 20, 30 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, a reason for that is, you know, the business, the business has changed. And I think we, I mean, we talked about this a little earlier that when the Island, the Islanders in their dynasty days were able to stay together because there was really no free agency and um, there was no way they would move teams. So you could root for it. And growing up, I mean, I was a, a New York giants fan, a Mets fan, um, and you, the players rarely change teams, and I think that was uh, why you, you felt a loyalty to these teams. In recent years, I, somebody wrote this, and I wish I could give them credit. I don't remember what they said. But they said, nowadays, most kids just root for a logo. And, and that's kind of true, you know, because players change. Players change. All the time. All the get, time. It's hard to get, um, you know, to stay connected with a player if they're moving around. Uh, you know, how about the young fan who was a big fan of um, pick anybody you want? I mean, there's always people changing teams. Yeah, absolutely. And again, it's very rare to find a specific player in a lot of different sports that sticks right. with one club or organization right. there throughout the entirety of their career. And I think, you know, and that kind of mirrors the world around us. I mean, my kids recognize that there's very little loyalty in business. And so they're constantly prepared that if I have to move, move jobs, they'll do it. Whereas when I was growing up and coming out of college, I expected if I had a job, I could keep it as long as I wanted it, as long as I did my job well. It's just the world has changed. And is it better? It's hard to say. I don't know. I, I'm not sure that it's better. I'm not sure. I'm going to go with no. So, you know, hey, I'm going to I'm going to go with the old ways, you know. That's yeah. Part of being the grumpy old man. Yeah, that's okay. I mean, I'm, I'm, my wife and kids call me grumpy old man, too. So that's, that's fine. There you go. See, <laughs> Rich, is there anything else besides what you're doing at Penn uh, that takes up some of your time? Anything other things that you're interested in doing or starting or? Well, as I, you know, I, I, I I'm. It's funny you should ask that. I'm, I'm going to be starting a podcast of all Perfect. things. Um, I Let's hope hear about it. I want to hear about sometime it sometime the end of September, early October. It's going to be called a sane future. Uh, subtitled Issues Big and Small That Can Affect Us All. And I'm going to be talking about a variety of things around us, uh, both culturally and what have you. And I hope that I can make a contribution and talk about some things that I think are important. I probably will hit some sports topics at some point, but its focus will not be sports, at least in the short term. I, I want to talk about politics and media and all kinds of different things that I'm interested in. And um, we'll see. I'm, I'm having some fun with it. I'm just getting it uh, getting it ready for, for air. Hopefully, as I said, hopefully the end of September and early October, we'll have it up and running and uh, we'll have some fun with it. Great. Hey, and you know what? I would love to have you back on again, particularly if you get close to starting up your podcast and getting it out there. So sure. we can kind of push that for you. Thank you. Appreciate uh, it. That's, that's what we like to do on this show. We want to give everybody a shot to talk. Great. Uh, you know, as opposed oh, to just this, me all the time. This is talking about fun things. You know, this is yeah. this, this is our passion. This is what we grew up with. This is, uh, I'm fortunate enough to have been behind the scenes and done some things that, you know, give me a little 
some different insights on the world. So uh, it's it's a fun it's a fun thing. And my my son has obviously inherited that passion. Um, I told him the other night, you get a kick out of this. My dad was a diehard New York Giants baseball fan. Absolutely loved the New York Giants. The happiest day in his life was when Bobby Thompson hit the home run in 1951 to win the National League pennant. The shot heard around the world, and he he couldn't. He, the happiest day of his life, my mother tells me. And so, um, but the downside of that is most of their games were played during the day, and if the Giants would lose during the day, he wouldn't want to eat dinner. That's how bad it was. That's how passionate he was. And I guess I guess I got some of that. And I, I, I'm as you get older, you're not as I don't get as crazy about it as I once did. But my son still has that that real passion. If the Islanders like these overtime games, they lost. He didn't want to talk to me after the game. So that's that's just he's a passionate fan, and that's wonderful. But let's put it in perspective. You got a wife, you know. You know it's, not, it's not the end of the world. But that, that is, I, it, I grew up that way. I did grow up that way. That's right. When you're younger, it's definitely like that. I had, I, matter of fact, I told TJ um, just yesterday, I said, you know what? I said, before that game seven against the Flyers was the first time I've really been nervous before a game. And yeah. I can't even yeah. remember. Yeah, me too. <clears throat> Jimmy, I actually felt the same way. And it's and been I think a long reason, time since I felt that way. Yeah. Yeah. The reason for me was because if the Flyers win, I'm going to have to listen to my brother for who knows how long. Right. 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 And the yeah, fact I was that concerned about that, but I just I, I really wanted them to win. I felt it was time. I, I thought they were the better team in the series. I thought they had been unlucky. Um, and I thought, you know, hopefully the better team will win. And obviously they came out and played clearly like the better team. Yeah, they were fantastic. Yeah. I want to know your prediction for this Tampa series coming up. Mm. Grumpy, you're making an easy job for me. You're, I, I, I mean, that was my next question. I was like, we got to ask about what his prediction is, what he thinks is going to happen. Grumpy's well, taking all the questions out of my mouth. Know, people say, you know, what does your heart, what does your head say? My heart obviously says Islanders. My head, I, I think, says Tampa Bay. I, I think the Islanders are still missing a couple of pieces. Um, uh, the, you know, the game the other night was a was basically a flawless game, but I don't think they can play that game every night. Um, everybody played well from, you know, all four lines defensively. They were solid. I mean, when they give up 16 shots on goal, yeah. block shots. Um, it was a flawless performance, but I don't think, I don't think you can do that every night. And I don't, and I, and I think the flyers are less disciplined than Tampa Bay. Um, I think Tampa Bay has excellent balance. I think their goaltending is superior. Um, so I, 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 I sadly think it's a, it's a long haul for the Islanders. I think they can win, but I think they're probably not ready yet. That's my, that's what my head tells me. My heart tells me, of course, if they can beat Tampa Bay. They can probably beat Dallas or Vegas and win the whole thing. There you go. That's what I wanted to hear. Right. We're going to cut out all the negative stuff and just <laughs> put that out there. <laughs> well, I, I I think the same exact way as you there, Rich. Um, again, Hart would obviously root for the Islanders, and I think they nothing would shock me in this series. Right. If I'm a betting man and I'm going to Vegas, I'm probably taking the Tampa Bay Lightning at six right. or seven. Right. Uh, but it wouldn't shock me at all. No. However, the well, I think, series I think transpires. There's quite a bit of parity here. I don't think there's one dominant team. But I think because Tampa Bay, I think the analogy that we used earlier, that they're probably like the 78 or 79 Islanders where they're knocking on the door, you know, for four or five years now, 
I, I think they're ready to take the next step. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think they're well rested. Although some people would say that may not be a good thing, but you know, maybe they take them a couple minutes to knock the cobwebs out. But I, I think, you know, I, I think they probably will provide the biggest challenge for the Islanders. And I think, <clears throat> excuse me, I think um, it's an uphill battle. I mean, I, I think it'll be tough, but I, they can win. Certainly. I, I don't know if you saw Richie Pilon came out and said, it feels like the Islanders are going to win the cup. I saw that today somewhere. Richie, you know, he's had a lot of concussions though. So <laughs> yeah, right. I don't say that. <laughs> but, but, no, no, that's true. I mean, come on. He was a rough and tumble player uh, for yeah, the Islanders. But always hurt though. Always hurt. Yeah. Well, and you, you know, I, I was thinking back to the 93 team and I'm trying to compare it with this team. And and it's similar in certain ways in that they had some dynamic scorers with Terjan and Stevie Thomas and Benoit Hogue. And they were a much more offensive oriented team than this team is. They scored a lot more goals. Um, their goaltending was terrific with Healy and Fitzpatrick. Um this team is obviously much more defensive oriented, but the balance is there. There's a, there's a good balance between good scoring, good skills, decent defense. You don't have as much. Um, when I think back to the 93 club with guys like Malakoff and Jeff Norton and Yui Krupp, defensively, they probably were a little bit better offensively than this team is. Um, and maybe that was, and, and so that's why they probably scored more goals than this team does. So, but I think, at the end of the day, balance, commitment, system, obviously Barry's system, you know, they certainly can beat anybody. Will they? I think it's a long shot, but I, I they certainly can, but I think it's a long shot. Yeah, that 93 team was, and I still, you know, I say if Terjan doesn't get hurt, um, yeah, we will. I, I, we've often talked about that. I, I, I think um, – Ironically, they go on and they beat Pittsburgh without Terjean. Two-time defending Stanley Cup champion. Yeah. So you wonder, I mean, obviously they're probably playing on on uh, just pure emotion, but then reality set in and you lose to Montreal. So I, I, I think, you know, we'll see. I mean, maybe I'll be pleasantly surprised, but I still think we could use – they need another score. Um, you know, I, I think um, – Beverly's played great, but he's been snake bit. You know, he's been he's, he's played great two way hockey. He's done some great things that this series, but he hasn't scored. And I think you need you need somebody else to score. You need somebody else got to step in and score. You know, I can't depend on May, can't depend on Mayfield and and Andy Green to do your scoring for you. Come on. <laughs> and we and we also talked about it that five on five, the Islanders I think match up well against yes. the Lightning as we have over the last two years with Barry Trotz. Yes. The biggest thing is going to be the special teams play. Our, our penalty kills struggled a little bit earlier on. I mean, in most playoff situations, that I would agree with you there. And I think the other big thing is, and, and it was surprising to me, if you remember the '93 team when that team. I do. I remember it. Don't even waste your time talking to TJ Rich. Go ahead. When that team went to overtime, you expected the Islanders to win. Yep. Uh, obviously struggled in overtime. So, and the playoffs are all about overtime. They're all about special teams. They're all about goaltending. Those are the three things that usually tell the difference. And that's where I think we're going to have some challenges. Yeah. I tell you what, honestly, as a longtime Islander fan, I was shocked that they didn't win any of those overtime games. I I expected opportunities, but they didn't get them. 
know? Yeah. I always expect them to win in overtime. Always. Do, because we have, the, we see the history. We know the history right. and we That's expect right. it. But, and I, and I kept saying, oh, it's got it. You know, this is our time, but it's not Bobby Nystrom. It's not Ray Ferraro. It's just different. You know, it's just different. And it's not that the effort wasn't there. They just weren't fortunate, you know, right. You know, right. Stuff happens. Just one bad bounce and one bad deflection in overtime and you're finished. Well, Rich, I'm just going to tell you, I'm picking the Islanders in seven games in this series. Right. I know who my fan base is. I know who listens to my podcast. <laughs> I'll go I'm picking Tampa. I'll go with Even though my, my, my head says no, my heart says yes, so I'll go with you. Yeah. But DJ has been spot on uh, in all of his predictions. This play, I hate to admit, I don't even know how. Just lucky, I guess. Uh, he's been spot on with his predictions this year. Well, you know what? If you watch enough hockey, and I used to tell my, kid, my older son this, I could almost tell you most nights how the Islanders are going to do. Yep. Um, seeing them up close, getting a feel for the team, where their heads are at. You know, I mean, there were certain Tuesday nights where I knew we were going to have, they were going to, they were going to struggle, and invariably I was right. Um, it's just you know, you, you have a feel. If you watch enough, you have a feel, you have a sense. Um, you know, we'll see, we'll see. I, I hope you know, we hope for the best, obviously, and I think it'd be great for. The fan base, um, but I, 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 my gut tells me they're probably one or two players away. But it's still possible. It's still certainly possible in a league that has a lot of parity. Hey, have, we have that never say die attitude. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Absolutely true. Well, thank you so much, Rich, for coming on and joining us on the podcast. I know I'm looking forward to listening to your um, your podcast called A Sane Future. And I'm looking forward to getting you on before you, you start that up and, and kind of getting a little bit of a preview of, of what we're going to hear there on your upcoming podcast yeah. here, Rich. Great. Pleasure being with you guys. And I, let's, let's, uh, let's go Islanders. And I love talking to anyone who's around my age who remembers the glory days of the Islanders. <laughs> well, we can certainly do this again. Let me know. And we'll, we'll, I'll happily do it again. It's fun. A lot of fun. Thank you so much, Rich. I appreciate it. Take care, guys. Absolutely. Thank you, Thank you guys. Bye-bye.